value the Bible or not, but I hope that you do because, man, as I begin to study the Word of God, it just changes my life. It changes my mind. It changes how I feel about life. You know, because life really presses in on you and things are distracting and and then you have Facebook <laughs> always trying to steal your attention, right? And every And all the other information that you see and then when you slow down a little bit and you read the word of God then things begin to change in your mind and you begin to see that there's a different perspective on life than what the world is trying to force upon you it's a different perspective on life than what this world is trying to force upon you and make you think that you have to be worried about what other people think about you Make you think that you have to be concerned about, you know, uh, am I living up to what other people want me to be? And do I look right? And, you know, all of those worries and troubles. And as you begin to study the Word of God, it, it changes your perspective. And, and, and you begin, all, the, all those other pressures that really don't mean anything begin to just become less. And that's a good thing because it sets you free. It sets you free to live for God. And so, this morning we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And this is Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae. This is Paul's prayer for them. And then it... And, and then it, it so the first uh, verse, verse 9, is Paul's prayer. Then the next two verses are really what he's hoping is going to be the result of his prayer... And then the last couple few verses are what God has remind, reminding the Colossians and reminding us what God has done for us in Christ. So let's read the text, Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14, and then we'll take a look at it. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering, with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Man, what beautiful language. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Whoa! What a beautiful passage of Scripture. I mean, just packed full of so many things. I mean, Paul's just laying it on them here. Okay, so, and we could get lost in the beauty of it and just how 
powerful it is because it does carry a lot of power. So I want to slow down and I want to look at the content of each piece here. So Paul's prayer, verse 9, really has three elements. He says, he says, we pray without ceasing that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's the first one. Filled with the knowledge of His will. Secondly, in all wisdom. Okay, so that's number two. And then all understanding. Okay, so there's three. The content of Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae, for all these Christians, is really three things. The knowledge of His will, spiritual understanding, and spiritual wisdom. And then he has seven purposes that he hopes will be evidenced in their life through the answering of his prayer. One, that they live worthy of the Lord. They be fruitful. They increase in the knowledge of God. They be strengthened. They have patience and long-suffering. Six, they be full of joy. And seven, they be thankful to God. Seven, seven things that Paul hopes is asking God to see in their lives as a result of his prayer. That's pretty good. Then there's five things I highlighted that Paul reminds them of what God has done for us. One, he made it possible for us to partake in God's inheritance. Two, he delivered us from the power of darkness. Whew. Three, he brought us in the kingdom of the Son he loves, Jesus. Four, He provided redemption. And five, He forgave us of our sins. Now, real quick, I want to move into how are you supposed to apply this type of a passage to your life? How are you supposed to apply a passage like this? There's a couple different ways, but the first application that I want to suggest you think about is that Paul's prayer is a good example of how we can pray for other people. Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae is a good example of how we can pray for other people. Have you ever felt a little bit lost sometimes when you pray for somebody? You don't really know what to pray. You know, uh, you feel confused. You don't know what, what you really want to see come, come in their lives. You know, a lot of times when we, especially when it's somebody that's close to us, family members, uh, who we know well, uh, we sort of know them and, and we think we know what's going to be best for their lives, right? So we have opinions about their life. Parents, you know, this is, <laughs> Cindy's over there. My friend Cindy's over there going, yeah, I've been there, right? We have, we sort of form our own opinions about how we think, you know, what we think would be best for them. And so that then begins to sort of guide our prayer life is our opinions about somebody. And then there's, you know, a lot of those opinions might be right. You know, it's not saying that the opinion is wrong or our perspective is wrong, but, but you know, our view of the person's life guides how we pray for them. Okay? And so, but then not, there are times when our opinion it might be wrong. We might not be seeing something that God sees. And so then, so then when that happens, our prayer life has conflicting agendas. What we think the person should be doing, and then what God is trying to do. <laughs> you know? So, so modeling Paul's prayer will ensure, will ensure that our prayers will be in line with the will of God. 
Because see, the condition of our hearts is revealed in our prayer life. Let me say that again. The condition of our heart is revealed in our prayer life. So, so do you want someone to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God? You pray that for somebody, man, that's a powerful prayer. Do you want somebody to increase in spiritual wisdom, in spiritual understanding, not worldly wisdom as opposed to worldly wisdom, right? Worldly understanding. Wisdom that comes from God. That cannot come from any human mind. If we're asking God to do that in somebody's life, that's a good prayer. God will hear that prayer. Say, God, I'll pray for my son, my daughter, that they would be able to live a life that's worthy of You, God. That they would be fruitful in their life. That they increase in knowledge. They'd be strengthened. They learn patience. They'd be full of joy. That they learn how to be thankful to God. That's a great prayer. So that's the application number one. Are you praying for somebody and sometimes you just feel lost in your prayer life? You're not really sure how to pray. And sometimes you feel like you're spinning your wheels in your prayer life. I want to invite you to go back to a very basic prayer that Paul prays for the Colossians. And I believe that if you can do that, then that's a good starting place because you are sure to be praying in the will of God. So what? It, so let's, let's dig a little deeper, though, into what Paul is actually praying for them. Now the key word, the key word that I that I that as I studied here is a Greek word. Oh, I lost you already. Greek words, right? Come on, John. It's too early for Greek words. Well, the New Testament was written in Greek, so I can't get away from it. All right. So Paul uses this Greek word called gnosis. That's not going to change your life, but the meaning of it is very important because the Greek word gnosis actually is a word that speaks about knowledge that is gained from a first-hand relationship or experiential knowledge. Now, let me say that again. Paul's first prayer for the, for the Christians in Colossae is that they would have experiential knowledge of God. Now, why is that important? Because there's no way that you can know God without experiencing Jesus. You go to church all your life, never have an experience with Jesus, and you won't really know God. And Paul knows that more than anybody. If you go read in Acts chapter 9, right? We talked about that uh, last time I taught. Paul was headed to a place called Damascus, to persecute Christians. And on the way there, a, a light came from heaven, knocked him to the ground, and he heard Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? He says, who I am? He said, I'm Jesus. Whom are you persecuting? Get up. Go find Ananias. Ananias is going to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit, and your life will never be the same. And it happened. Paul had an experience with Jesus. And it completely transformed him from somebody who was persecuting Christians and trying to kill them and put them in jail, to the greatest evangelist and apostle that ever lived, honestly. Well, you know, I, 
I don't really know. We, we don't know fully what Peter did in his effect, unfortunately. But So I, I, maybe I can't say that. But man, we know what Paul did. I mean, Paul spread the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the known world of that day, all the way to Rome. We have a lot to be thankful for. And it all came because he had an experience with Jesus. So Paul knows that if you don't have an experience with Jesus and you're trying to seek spiritual wisdom or spiritual understanding, it's not going to work. You're spinning your wheels. You're just trying to intellectualize Christianity, and it will not work. You know, an experience with Jesus cannot be faked. You can't fake an experience with Jesus. I... I grew I grew up in a in a really really good a pretty big church in uh sort of north of Atlanta Methodist church good church um but because it was so large and and the congregation was so large and and they had a large choir and they had so many so many different elements to a worship service that the the whole staff would have to have these and I remember my dad would they they would have sometimes they had them in the basement of our home you know we had this big table and and my dad would have this big whiteboard uh, mounted on the wall in the basement of our home, and, and the whole the senior staff would all come over, and they'd have these three-hour worship planning sessions. And I mean, they would plan even months ahead of time sermon topics, worship songs, organizing the volunteer teams, what AV staff would be needed. I mean, months. Ahead, I mean, it was a thing. I mean, they had they had to they had to do the whole thing. And they called them uh, uh, they called them planning for a worship experience, a worship experience, right? And it, you know, I'm not trying to be negative towards that. Of course, you got to. I'm all for planning, especially when you got a service like that every week. You got to plan way ahead of time. But you can't you can't manufacture an experience with Jesus. You 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 can create an atmosphere to experience Jesus, and that's what we try to try to do. When we do a mission trip, right? You go to Brazil, and we simply are just, you know, there with a guitar singing, you know, hallelujah, and the Spirit falls. We don't, we don't make the Spirit fall. Jesus shows up and changes lives. So you can create an atmosphere where you invite the presence of God, but you can't, you can't fake or manufacture an experience with Jesus by human effort, you know? So somebody could come and can enjoy the music and say that was really good and oh, that's an eloquent sermon and oh, what a beautiful sanctuary. But that's not having an experience with Jesus. You know, and, and if, you, if you haven't had an experience with Jesus, it's hard to really say what it's like. I mean, you just got to experience it. <laughs> it changed your life forever. Changed my life. Changed Pastor Rick's life. Cindy, Chloe, Jesse. By the way, I'm seeking an experience with Jesus every day. Okay, so have you had an experience with Jesus? If not, you need one. And that's also where you start your prayer life for another person. God, you know this person's heart. I see a lot of things that I think, but I know one thing. The greatest change that could ever come for in positively in this person's life is that they have an experience with you. Please, God, reveal Yourself to them. Knock them down on the ground. Let them hear Your voice. Touch their heart, Lord God. Witness to them. Give them an understanding of who You are. And when that happens, 
Everything will change. Because, see, when you have an experience with Jesus, you never be the same. You, you won't feel lost or confused in life anymore. You know? You have purpose. You have motivation to get up in the morning and see what the Lord has for you today. Now, and then once you have that experience with Jesus, that opens the door for the next two elements of Paul's prayer, which are wisdom and understanding. Because you can't have true wisdom from God until you have the Spirit of God leading you. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, and 14, 12, 13, and 14, okay? He says this about wisdom and the Spirit. Now we, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches. In other words, all of the really smart people in the world. But which is which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, if you want to know the heart of God, then you've got to experience the Lord first, and that opens the door for you to know God. You can't intellectualize yourself towards knowing God. You can't be smart enough to know God. <laughs> You've got to have an encounter with Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you can get to start to know who God is. Okay. It simply doesn't work to try to force your mind upon God because then what, what ends up happening is that, is that you sort of start to worship the God that you created in your own mind. Whoa. That's scary. If you start with your brain first, then you begin to worship the God that you formed in your mind instead of the true God. You have to experience God, and then you can begin to understand it. Okay, let's move on here. So people who have not had an experience with Jesus look at us as a little odd sometimes. Right? Right? I mean, that's what Paul says there. I mean, it's, you know, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. So people who have not had an experience with Jesus look at us as a little odd sometimes. Why in the world would you go to the Peru in the middle of COVID? That seems a little out of order. Well, you know, all I know is that there's 53 pastors of 53 churches and a bunch of leaders who are saying, we want you to come and help us figure out how to spread the gospel in Peru. And... So, should we be respectful to COVID and bow our knee to COVID? Or should we try to figure out how to get there and help 53 churches and volunteer pastors? They all work for a living and pastor as volunteers. So, should we go and help them and respond to what God has called us to do? Or should we bow the knee to COVID? Well, we're going to get on that plane. And we're going to raise $30,000. By the way, we still need 15 cents in offering. I'm not ashamed to ask for it. Give me a credit card number. Right? At the top of our website, right there, it says, Give now. Click it. Just stop watching me. Go give us $1,000 right now. 2000 5000 If the Lord's convicting you. We, the pastors in Peru need that money. Why? Because God's called them. Why, why else would they be a volunteer pastor? 
Lord have mercy. These guys are my heroes. Simple, simple people who are working, who are farming for a living, driving a taxi and pastoring a church on the side. Man, I want to get down there and give them some money and say, thank you for doing what you do. Let me pray for you and see if the Holy Spirit will zap you and make you more powerful than you ever thought you could be. I mean, Lord, Lord Jesus took most, the majority of the, the disciples were fishermen. You had at least five, six fishermen. You had a, a, one guy who was royalty. You had another guy who was a tax collector. You know, Luke was a doctor. But most of the guys were unqualified. I mean, that's foolishness. That's, that's weird. You know? Why, why would God take people like that? Well, because you know what? God is so much bigger than all of our smarts. Anyway, I got off a little bit there, but you know. So, Paul prays for the Colossian church like this. He says, look, guys, you, you have a lot of teachers who are coming to you and trying to convince you that, that they're really smart. And, that's, and, and that, that's really what was going on there. Okay, You had a bunch of competing agendas in the church in Colossae and, and all these other teachers, they're called Gnostics. You know, and that's and so there's a reason that Paul uses that word gnosis there. He's he's writing against these Gnostic guys, is what they're called. Now that's a big word to just mean guys who thought they were smarter than everybody else, basically. Okay, and so if if you really want to, so they they sort of present this idea in various ways that if if you really want to know what it means to be truly spiritual, then you then there's this secret knowledge that you have to learn. And Paul just writes to them to say, man. That, that's ridiculous. If you want to, if you want to know, if you want to truly know God, you you got to experience God. You, there's, no, there's no way you can intellectualize yourself to knowing God. So they're trying to navigate these various pressures. You know, that's just like us today. There's nothing new under the sun, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says. There's nothing new. It's just a different form. You know. If these guys had Facebook way back then, they'd be on Facebook just saying all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, they'd be the loudest ones on Facebook saying, we have the secret knowledge, you know. And there's all kinds of people who come along saying, we know the secret. We got the life hack. Right? We have the secret life hack to God. That's the thing now, right? Life hacks. Everybody has a life hack. No? Is that lost? You don't, you don't have you ever heard that? A life hack? No, I'm I'm out of it. Life hack. Okay. <laughs> Where am I, what am I doing on time? Yeah. Okay. A life hack, right? That's that. It's out there. You know, this is this is a secret I found to do this in life, to do this in life, and so everybody's got a life hack, right? This is this is what I found, and so uh, you know this these poor Christians, young Christians in Colossae, they, they're doing the same thing. They're trying to figure out life, and they have all these different pressures, all these all these. Things coming at them, and, 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 trying to confuse and crowd out the pure gospel that says Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected on the third day, sent into the heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, before I get into you know theological issues and stuff, I want you to know that you need to know God. So so let's move on here to to some of the other things. Let me ask you a question: Do you want to live a life that's worthy of the Lord? Do you want to live a life that's worthy of the Lord? Do you want to see your family members, your kids, those closest to you, 
living a life worthy of the Lord. You know, there's no life better than one that is lived for the Lord. And there's all kinds of people who will try to convince you that it's better to live for money, that it's better to live for a, a good job, that it's better to live, uh, seek a good retirement fund so that you can retire early and travel the world. I want you to know I've, I've, I've traveled a, a fair amount, not as much as many other people. I mean, you know, I'm not bragging or anything. I've, I've had the privilege of going many places. And, and it, it really loses its uh, flavor after a while because human brokenness is all over the world. It just takes different form and different culture. But it's all over the world. And so the idea of going to see all these different cultures and sort of experiencing the world, you know, what you're going to see is a lot of people who need Jesus. You know, honestly, that's, that's, that's really what you're going to see. There's no life better than living one that is worthy of the Lord. No life better. Do you want to be fruitful for the Lord? Do you want to do something for the kingdom? Do you want to increase in the knowledge of God? Do you want God to strengthen you to face what life is going to bring? You know, life brings all kinds of, of things that are uh, unpredictable. Life is not point A to point B. Life goes sideways, up and down. I mean, life takes you all over the place. Those of you who are young, you know, you maybe haven't experienced uh, as many of those things that life will do to you yet. But they'll come, and I don't say that in a negative way. It's just that's what life is on this in this world. And if you're grounded in the Lord, I promise you, that you will make it through every single one and, and the devil will not take you out of the game. But you've got to be rooted in the Lord. You have to be find strength in the Lord and you have to find strength in your brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to encourage you and lift you up. You have to learn patience in life. Don't be hasty. You have to learn patience in life. You have to be joyful in life. That's a big one for Paul, especially in Colossians, especially in Philippians 2. I mean, Paul wrote about this all the time, said, life brings you some tough stuff. And Paul wrote about some of the stuff he wrote through, went through personally. But somehow he was able to have joy through it all. Why shouldn't we? He says, as Christians, we have got to have joy. If you're a Christian and you have no joy, then I question what the Lord is really doing in you. You're letting the devil steal all of your joy. You're not being any good in the kingdom. Because we're supposed to be examples. So, why, why would anybody want a Christian and then become, you know, grumpy and bitter like you? Are you a good witness in your joy? And be thankful. There's always something to be thankful for in God. These are the seven things that, that Paul is asking that God would produce in the Colossians' life through his prayer. And I want that in your life too. And so, Lord God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are listening to me this morning that each one of them would have a personal experience with you today. Every day, God, that you would visit by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would visit us 
and reveal yourself to us. Remind us of every good work that you've done, that you died on the cross to forgive us our sins and encourage us by your Holy Spirit to live a life that's worthy of God. Lord God, that we would be fruitful in our work, that we would increase in understanding you, God, that we would be strengthened by you, by your Holy Spirit, that we would learn to be patient and wait upon you, God, that we will be full of joy and a good witness to you, God. And Lord, that we would remember to be thankful in all things because no matter what's going on in life, there's always something to be thankful for. God, we give you this day and we ask that all of these things would come true in our lives, in our families, in our churches, God, and that you would destroy the works of the devil in the world that are trying to prevent your good work from being done in our lives. In Jesus' name, Lord, amen. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Have a great day in the Lord. Remove your way.